Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Romans. Chapter 16. We'll begin here in verse 25, and we will end in verse 27. And by end, I mean end. Um, Today, we conclude uh, our study of the book of Romans. This is our 98th sermon in this book, and you don't know how bad it hurt me not to do two more sermons to make it even 100. All you people that are at the gas pump that you just till you get it to be an even number, you are bothered, and I am sorry, but God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. So we, uh, we're going to hit uh, sermon number 98, and we are going to finish this, this journey, which has taken us uh, about two and a half years with a couple little breaks in between, and um, man, the, the end of this book is just so fitting for what we have seen and uh, what we've experienced in studying this book. The end of this book is what is called a doxology. Uh, doxology is just the combinations of two Greek words, m- meaning glory word. The end of this book is a glory word. It is a hymn of praise which directs our eyes to God. Not to me, not to each other, not to our circumstances, but to God who deserves all glory, praise, and honor for the message of this book and what the message of this book has done and is doing in our lives. So our hope this morning is that we join in what this paragraph was designed to do, and that is to praise God. So I'm going to read verses 25 through 27, and then we're going to pause and pray that God would just uh, give us ears to hear his word. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that this moment uh, would be a moment of worship for me personally and for us corporately. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who not only saves us, but speaks to us and reveals yourself to us. And you do so through even this moment of preaching and proclaiming the scriptures that you've inspired. So God, we pray that you would convict us, encourage us, and stir us to worship. And we pray all of this by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I want you to imagine with me the possibilities that Paul was faced with when trying to decide how to conclude what would go down in history as probably one of his most significant writings in his life and what many have called the most important letter ever written in the history of the world. How do you close a letter after having taken us to the depths of our own sinfulness, the heights of God's love for us, after having explored the reach of God's saving grace to both Jew and Gentile and all types of people with all types of sin, how, how you've shown us the heights of God's love, how you've explored the saving grace and the extent of God's transforming power. How do you close a letter after having dove into such glorious things about how God has saved us? What will he focus on? What will he turn our eyes to? What does he want the Roman readers to, to ponder as the last thought as the letter to the Romans would have been read out loud, and as it is being read out loud in this moment. Out of all the things Paul could have praised the Lord for, I want you to listen to what Paul chooses. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Truth number one, God strengthens his people through the gospel. Now we're going to spend most of our time on this phrase because the following phrases all build on this phrase. God strengthens his people through the gospel. I want us to appreciate this sentence. And in order to do that, we need to meditate on what in the world he means by saying that God strengthens us. What is the strengthening work? That God does. Remember that Paul is writing a letter to Christians. So he's, this, is, this is to you. This is what God does for you if, if you've put faith in Jesus Christ. The word for strengthen here could be translated as to establish, to support, to strengthen, or to fix firmly in a place. So think of, think of uh, a building project where you must fix firmly into place a building on top of a foundation so that when the hurricane comes, the building stands firm because it is fixed, immovable by the forces around it. God is to be praised because God does this kind of work in your life. He supports you, sustains you, strengthens you, establishes you, fixes you firmly in a place. And this is good news for us because by our very nature, we are not those things. By implication with, with God's strengthening work, the implication is that without God's work in this, you are unstable. You are unsustained, weak, broken down, tossed around by this life and by every wind of doctrine. If you feel this way this morning, and I'm sure some of you do, you feel this sort of uh, unsettledness to where you're blown around by circumstances or blown around by thoughts that you have or concepts. You feel this 
as a result of a fallen world, sin that is in you and sin that is around you, or the consequences of it. I I just want you to think about what it must have been like to be in the Garden of Eden where everybody felt firm in place. In other words, insecurity was not a thing. Total security in who they were, in their relationship with God, in their purpose on the planet. Total security and no blowing around by situations around them. Firm in a place. But because of sin, that is not our experience in this life many, many times. We learned from Romans that without God's work in our lives, we are more than just simply unstable. We are self-destructing. It's not just that we're a little wobbly, but it's that we pursue paths that actually hurt us rather than help us. In Romans 1.24, it says that God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, so to their desires, to impurity, and then this is what they do. They dishonor their bodies among themselves. So I'll give you over to what you want to do, but the thing that you want to do is actually harmful to you. Romans 1.28 says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then we should be familiar with this sort of onslaught of, of human characteristics in Romans 1. This is what happens to the human left to his own desires. They are filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Without the intervention of God, we are on a self-destruction cycle leading to eternal wrath. The message of Romans has been that all of us by our very nature are more than just weak. Weak implies that you've got some strength to do something. The message of Romans is not just that we are weak, but that we are helpless to save ourselves from ourselves. We are helpless to save ourselves from the self-destruction cycle. There is absolutely no strength in ourselves to save ourselves by ourselves. And so there must be something from outside of ourselves to save us. Romans 3.20 says, The works of the law, no human being, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. We cannot save us, so we must rely on someone else to save us. And the message of Romans is that that someone is Jesus. That our only hope is that Jesus was and is strong on our behalf. He was strong enough to resist temptation that we have fallen into. That Jesus is strong enough to walk in righteousness that we are unable to walk in. That Jesus is strong enough to endure the curse of death and three days later get up again. The good news of the gospel has been that Jesus the strong one has taken our place. And now salvation, the way it works, the only way 
of salvation and of sanctification, therefore, is not to pretend to be strong, but to recognize our own weakness and to put all of our, all our chips, all our hope, all our faith, all our trust in Jesus who's strong on our behalf. The gospel is set up in such a way that your salvation and your sanctification and your perseverance to the end does not result in boasting about you. Romans 3.27, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We were helpless and hopeless in sin, and Christ, our strong Savior, gets all the credit for any good thing He's done in us. Romans 5.1, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory. Romans 5, 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Without Christ, we are slipping and falling into sin that leads to self-destruction and eternal self-destruction as that, not just a bad day, but all days to come become bad. This God, though, picks us up out of that place of constant falling and establishes us on a foundation. And the foundation, according to the gospel, is Jesus Christ. He fixed us into a position before Him that cannot be undone, like a building on a foundation that cannot be knocked over. The message of the gospel has been that you have come into a position where you stand before God in such a way that cannot be taken from you. You are justified. That is, the verdict is finished. You are declared right in God's sight. You are adopted. That is, the paperwork is done. You're God's now. His children, His sons and His daughters. You are united with Jesus in a way that cannot be separated again. You are filled with the Spirit of Christ, never to lose that feeling again. You are loved with love, inseparable, forgiven of every sin by immeasurable grace, both sins of your past and sins of your present and sins of your future. We are so established in Christ, according to Paul, it is is as if the final work of glorification is already done. Romans 8.30 He also predestined us. He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. The good news of the gospel through Jesus is that your relationship is fixed, established, immovable upon the foundation of what Christ has done, not what you do. Now, that's good news. I know some of y'all are falling asleep through it, but that's good news. should cause you to scream and shout if you believed it and stood on it. But notice that Paul is not just praising God for the past establishment of their salvation, but Paul is praising God for the present strengthening that they are experiencing from God. Paul seems to be praising God for an ongoing strengthening. Paul has been clear throughout the entire letter that the Christian person is, yes, in a moment, justified and standing before God. 
But that does not make them perfect. That does not mean that they will not fight sin in this fallen world. That they will not resist temptation. That they will not endure tribulation. The Christian gospel is, yes, they promised eternal life where you are glorified and perfect. But not yet. <laughs> you still exist in a sinful body, in a sinful world. And the, 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 the pressure of the world is all around you. There is still fighting to be done until the day you see Jesus face to face. As we saw last week, there are false teachers all around, in us and around us, whispering in our ears lies about ourselves and lies about God and lies about our situation. And the question becomes, where does the strength come from? How do we endure these things? Well, the answer to verse 25 is that it comes from the content of the gospel message that continues to strengthen us. Look at, look at, look at the verse. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. What does he use? According to my gospel. God continues to strengthen you. And the way that he does it, he uses the message of your salvation. In other words, he reminds you of what is true about you and what sustains you from now on into eternity. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not the message we simply believe to be saved. It's the good news message that drives literally everything about us. It's the message that helps us persevere through the most difficult times. It's the message that makes present suffering pale in comparison to future glory. It's the message that pulls us out of the darkness of depression, calms the storms of anxiety, heals emotional and spiritual wounds. You never graduate from the gospel message to something deeper and more interesting about Christianity. This is the message that inspires awe and worship in you, and there are more depths and more heights for the rest of of your life. It's not a diving board into Christianity. The gospel is the pool we swim in for the rest of our lives. And then we discover new depths of. It's the spring of eternal life we drink from when we're too weak to carry on. This is what God uses to strengthen his people. He reminds us of the gospel, how bad our sin is and how much God's grace abounds and abounds and abounds more than our sin. That's good news. But how does God do it practically, like logistically, okay? Um, is it just like osmosis for the rest of my life? Like I'm just walking around, going to, going to work, doing the dad thing, doing the husband thing, doing the employee thing, doing the whatever, and then God's just like infusing like gospel true things like through me as I'm like living my life? Probably not. If that's your experience, hook me up afterwards. Let me know <laughs> how that works. God uses means. He uses real life things he, he uses means to get the gospel message which strengthens you in your head and, and I want you to see how Paul structures this for the rest of the passage so so um, everything builds on one another here so I'm gonna so, so look at verse 25 here and, and look at how this this complex sentence just sort of builds together now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ or the proclaiming 
of Jesus Christ. We're talking verbal proclamation. And then he just describes what that proclamation is made up of. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Okay, for clarity, we're going to work through this thing forward, then we're going to work this th- through this thing backward, okay? So let me give a brief summary, sort of like a paragraph type summary, and I'm going to give you like a sentence type summary, and then we're going to dive into the, to the uh, individual parts, okay? I know it looks like I'm doing interpretive dance. Big paragraph summary. Follow the logic with me. The gospel, what is the gospel? Somebody help me. What does it mean? What does gospel mean? Good news, right? Good news message. The gospel is this good news message that strengthens us, okay? The way the message makes it to our ears to strengthen us, though, is through somebody proclaiming. Somebody preaching. Verbal attestation to this good news message. But not just any proclaiming. It's proclaiming about Jesus Christ. He's the center of this good news message. But not just any proclaiming about Jesus Christ. Rather, it's a proclaiming that's in accord with something that God's been doing for a very long time. Mystery hidden long before the ages, right? And that's something that God's been doing from eternity past to eternity future. Climaxes in Jesus. But the way that we hear about it, the way we understand about what an eternal God is doing up in the universe is that God gave us a book. Do you see that in the text? Prophetic writings. God gave prophetic writings. And through the revealing or the making clear of these prophetic writings, God, the eternal God, by his command, is bringing about the obedience of faith among all nations. So so through proclaiming of a book that's about Jesus, which is good news for you, God is creating or shaping a people for himself who will be obedient in faith. Paragraph summary. Now let me give the sentence summary. Truth number two, God shapes his people through Christ-exalting, Bible-exposing preaching or proclaiming. Okay. We went forward. Now let's work backwards again. So what is it that God is doing? End of verse 26. Well, according to the command of the eternal God, he is bringing about the obedience of faith. In other words, God is creating a people for himself who will trust him as the only true God, (laughs) who will believe upon him and his word as the most ultimately wise word, as the one worth following, as the one who is true and good for their good. God is making a people who will give themselves over to God in worship. And this parallels, and what you're going to see is this last paragraph parallels perfectly with the first paragraph of Romans, which I know you remember perfectly from two and a half years ago. So I'm sure you're seeing that, and I'm just kidding. But I want you to see the parallels. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, beginning of the letter. Paul's speaks about what God is doing. Through whom, being Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith 
for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You, Christian, are the product of what God is accomplishing in the world. The end of history as we know it will be made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and language who have stopped trusting themselves and they've come to trust in God, their creator, and Christ, their savior. And we will, all creation longs for this moment where the faithful God saves an unfaithful people and God turns them into a faithful people. Romans eight nineteen creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. God is shaping a people for himself in this moment. How is he doing it? Well, by revealing his plan and himself through prophetic writings, Romans 16, 26a. But now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Again, parallels with the first paragraph of this book. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God has given us a collection of writings to tell us what he's up to and what we should be up to. This, this collection of writings encourages us and instructs us and stirs us to worship. Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God gave us a book to, to reveal what he's been doing, and the main character of the book is not you. Yes, you're a product of what God accomplishes in the message of this book, but the main character of this book is Jesus. That's why in Romans 16, 25, he can say that this good news message is the same as the preaching of Jesus Christ. And again, he's just paralleling what he said in the very beginning. Romans 1, 2 that God promised this beforehand through prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What are the Holy Scriptures about? Verse two, 3, concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God's book tells the story of God's Son who accomplished God's gospel to save God's people, of which we get to be a part of. And we are strengthened and shaped by these realities through someone proclaiming it to us. Through preaching. It's as if Paul at the end of his letter uh, provides what he intends for the Romans to do with his letters. To do with the Holy Scriptures. We give ourselves to Christ exalting, Bible exposing proclamation of the gospel. This moment that we do together in this room is a, is a moment that God has commanded to happen. The last 98 sermons of the last two years was, was not just like my idea. <laughs> they were something that God is using to do something in us. That is the strengthening to stand firm in the face of all that this life 
throws at us. This is God's idea, the command of eternal God. He chose to save sinners through the work of Jesus to record that plan in a book so that we could read it and understand it and to call pastors like this old goober right here not to stand up and say anything about me, but to point you to what God has done and what God has revealed in this book. The Bible is not a road map to life. The Bible is not a collection of fortune cookie slogans to make you have a better day at work. The Bible is not about seven steps to financial freedom. The Bible is a book about God. The Bible is a book about Jesus from beginning to end, and that is what you need most this morning when you come into this room. And it's that way from beginning to end. And I hope you've seen that in our Old Testament study on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That in Genesis 3, when God promises that the seed of Eve will crush the serpent's head, that's Jesus. That in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus is the promised offspring to crush the serpent's head. That in Genesis chapter 4, Jesus is the promised blessing of Abraham for all the families of the earth. That in the story of Joseph, who was betrayed by his family and then rose to the place of power to forgive them and save them from the famine in the land, that's, that's a picture of Jesus betrayed by his people and rose to the place of honor to offer forgiveness and salvation from the spiritual famine that we're in. That Jesus is the new and better Moses leading his people out of slavery. He's the Passover lamb who causes God's wrath to pass over us when we trust in it. He's the better Israel who actually resists temptation in the, in the wilderness. He's the better tabernacle where the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, the perfect king coming after David's life who will establish a kingdom of which there is no end, where no rebellious kingdom will stand any longer. Jesus is the servant of Isaiah who came to bear your sins. The better Jonah who remained three days in the belly of the earth, not for his sins, but for your sins, and resurrected on the third day. He's the better Hosea who buys back his unfaithful bride, not with gold or silver, but with his own blood. When Paul looks back at his time of studying the scriptures before he was a Christian, he wonders at how much he missed. As he writes this conclusion and he describes this mystery unfolding from long ages that climaxes in Jesus, I can just I, I, I can imagine that he just wants to re-preach all over again as he's praising God that, that Jesus is the missing piece which brings the whole story together, not only of the Bible, but of the universe and of his life and of your life. That Jesus himself said, everything was written about me in Luke 24, 44, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And I pray, goodness gracious, I pray, if you've been attending our church or you're watching online or if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, I pray that this church has ruined you for bad preaching that makes this book predominantly about making you feel good. I pray that if you go to another church, if you leave this place, I pray that the thing you will be looking for 
is a place where this book is opened, it is explained, and Christ is exalted, and that that is the main point of every sermon. I pray you will not settle for less than that. I agree with Charles Spurgeon when he says this, a sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir, then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. God aims to strengthen and to shape us through the regular hearing and the believing of the gospel of Jesus through the holy writings. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So let me pause just right there and just offer a practical plea to you. When you come to church on Sunday mornings, when you come to your Bible or you come to a Bible study, you're not here just to learn new information, but you're here to remind yourself of truths that you already know, but that your life shows that you're quick to forget. And when you come to this place, I, I pray that you would not take for granted this moment, this last two years that we've had. Don't come to listen to a sermon with the aim of being entertained out of some sort of spiritual obligation. Do not come and listen to a sermon passively as if the word is, is more for someone else. You're just here to show good face and hope that the rest of these losers get it. Pray that you would come prayerfully, expectantly, eagerly, ready to respond to something that the eternally wise God might be bringing about in your soul. God uses Christ-exalting, Bible-exposing, proclaiming to bring about the obedience of faith. And, and in the end, through all of this that God does, Paul's letter ends so appropriately in verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. God strengthens his people. He does so through Christ-exalting, Bible-exposing, preaching, and truth number three, and our final truth is this, God gets all the glory. The gospel message of Jesus Christ revealed, preached, believed, is for his namesake, Romans 1.5. One of the things that we learned in, in Romans is that our sin, our failure as humanity is not just that we do bad things or that we don't do good things, but the essence of our failure is that we don't glorify God as he deserves. We don't recognize how magnificent he really is, and we don't want to. The failure of humanity, according to Romans 1.21, is that they knew God. Though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You know what the worst sin that you're guilty of? is thinking that you need not acknowledge God with your life. Thinking that you can appease Him by showing up to a spiritual service on Sunday mornings to go about and do what you want to do. But God's so much bigger 
so much more glorious. There's so much more to know, to experience, to enjoy, to be saved from, to be saved to. Our greatest sin is that there is a God who deserves all the glory, and we don't care. And thus salvation is a salvation from this ignoring the God of the universe. And it is a bringing us to a place where we no longer want to ignore. (laughs) Where we actually desire to behold the glory of God more and be used to glorify Him with our lives. It's God's plan to invite us into the joy of his glory for eternity. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you you hear that? The suffering, so the worst moments are not worthy of comparison to glory. So there must be some sort of connection to God's glory being known and your joy being experienced. Like your joy in the future, in the presence of God's glory, is going to be so good that you will barely remember the worst moments of cancer, the worst moments of rejection or abuse or neglect or or relational strife will, will pale in comparison. It will not even seem like that was a thing in compared to the joy of the glory of God as you behold and worship Him for eternity. Everything in your life and in history is leading us to this moment where we all acknowledge Romans eleven thirty four. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. One day, all of us will know perfectly, Romans sixteen twenty seven. The to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He will prove himself wise over your life even in the moments where you think he is acting foolishly where he is not acting the way that you would have drawn it up for him to act so as we said in the beginning paul's final paragraph here is uh, it's a doxology it's designed to lead the reader into a time of praising God. And so that's the hope this morning. I, I want to close um, by reading the passage again. And then I just want us to, to take a moment to reflect on all the things represented in the passage here. Notice that God is the one doing all the action in this praise. <laughs> He's the one accomplishing all the verbs here. Uh, We are the passive ones in this doxology. God is the active one. So let me read the passage, and then I'm just going to list some things that we see God doing here, and then we're going to praise him for it. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret, for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In these three verses, we see that God strengthens. We see that 
God gives the gospel message for our salvation. We see that God is the one who uses the preaching of Jesus. We see that God has promised Jesus would come in the scriptures. That God was faithful to fulfill his promise to send Jesus. That it's God who who makes the gospel known to all nations. That it's God who brings about the obedience of faith in our hearts. We see that God is eternal. God is wise. God is the only God. God deserves all the glory. And by extension of what the gospel means, he's invited us in to experience verse 27. When Paul says to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. We rejoice because we are in Jesus Christ, which means we will enjoy that glory as well forevermore. So let's pray, and uh, let's just spend some time praising the Lord for his faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much. And that's an understatement. I mean, we throw that at the beginning of a prayer. But God, we, we ask that you would make us more thankful. We saw in Romans 1 that we don't honor you, but then it says, or give thanks to you. And so God, we pray that you would just help us at the end of this great letter explaining the gospel, that you would help us to conclude properly by thanking you and by giving you praise. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that even now as we meditate on through these songs. In Jesus' name.